0: It was a steep, muddy ascent on Gable End, finally breaking out into open scrub and spectacular views, framed by flax and leatherwood, looking out to endless bush-covered mountains emerging from low-hanging mist. Someone has hacked away at the tussocky plants threatening to take over the trail, and it's made for easy walking on this unbelievable day with no wind whatsoever. When I arrive at Te Matawe Hut, I'm greeted by a barking and snarling dog tied to the one bench. The owner tells me I just need to say hi and she'll calm down. But even he can't seem to get her to stop, and I get a kind of bad vibe about the place. The door hanging on one hinge, and the floor smashed clean through in a spot. So, I move on, steeply towards Pukamatawe, somewhere ahead in the swirling mist. I'm walking in the Tararua Range, a massive land formation shaped like a slug and dominating the narrow southern part of New Zealand's North Island. This close to the Cook Strait, it's subject to nearly constant, prevailing, moisture-carrying winds. And this accounts for a warning that weather can deteriorate rapidly to extreme conditions of gale-force winds, heavy rain, and even snowfall in any season. I'm carrying extra food, warm clothes and rain gear, and my wits. But most importantly, I'm carrying good information from the locals— telling me I'll have a weather window for two days and to just go and take advantage of it, maybe even skipping past that first hut and aiming for the second one. It's nearly three o'clock, though, and a sign tells me that that next hut is about four hours away. I guess I could easily have stayed at Tematawe if it wasn't for that dog and the bad vibes— But maybe it's a good thing that all of that spurred me on. And even though I'm tired after so much climbing, I can take the advice to position myself to take advantage of the weather. I'm feeling confident as I reach Butcher's Knob, right before the track abruptly changes. No longer is there cleared trail. Instead, the sharp grass and woody plants are overgrown, hiding all that's beneath my feet. Mud? Rocks, uneven ground, and immediately my pace slows to careful, mincing steps as the mist whips across my face. You're listening to The P-Rag, Unfiltered Adventures of the Blissful Hiker. I'm Alison Young, the Blissful Hiker, sometime professional flutist, sometime voice artist, and full-time pedestrian. Just like that small backpacking essential of the same name, the PRAG shares the unglamorous but vital truth about empowerment as badass people who really don't need permission to blaze our own trails in this journey we call life. Thanks so much to Leckie Trekking Poles for supporting the PRAG podcast. If you want to be a blissful hiker, Leckie's should be in your hands. Also, Belega makers of the best blister-resist, non-slouching foot-massaging socks for the long haul. Yesterday was my longest day of walking yet, from the car park near Palmerston North all the way to the Makahika Outdoor Pursuit Center. I'm their only Te guest, and the owner, John, tells me to keep moving today so I'd have views from the ridges and not get caught out in rain and mist. Maybe it's because I'm alone, or maybe because I walked so far, but John doesn't seem to doubt that I'll make it. It's funny how just a little bit of confidence from someone else can build up the reserves we need in ourselves. And that feeling sticks with me, even as the rain pours down on the alley coop as I pack, but by the time I hit the road, passing a Greek Orthodox church and several landslips, the rain lets up. At Podes Road, there's this massive sign that says, Advice to Persons Entering the Tataduas. Know where you're going, study your map, inform a responsible person as to your plans, and finally, never travel alone. Well, they go on to advise traveling with a minimum of four persons. I take a quick look around before I sign the intentions book with an estimate of where I'll stay each night, and I see that I'm pretty much the only one heading in today. I'm walking along backwater stream, my shoes and socks already soaked through, and it takes me deep into bush finally crossing on a bouncy suspension bridge and cracking straight up the mountain on the muddy and slippery gable-end ridge track. I level off for a moment, and I come to deep mud sprawling all the way across the track and then some. A few well-placed logs would fix this up right away, I think. At a particularly nasty spot, I meet a kiwi coming the other way. She was holed up in a hut over Christmas because of the awful weather. She says, just plow straight through. And I respond, after you. But that's not how she does things, she tells me, and then scoffs at trail maintenance like it wouldn't be sporting. Finally at the ridge, I get a view, and I put on my hat as mist opens and closes like curtains on a rolling carpet of mountains covered in forest, deep canyons yawning, the bottom invisible from my high perch. In an instant, though, I'm back in the forest. Here, it's a goblin forest, a magic fairyland of moss-covered beech, ferns, and decaying logs. I push past a Mataway, sharp leatherwood ripping at my hiking trousers, and I'm literally on top of the world now above the trees on the dragon spine of a ridge walking directly over the mountains. Far below, in a place I would imagine is completely inaccessible, a river snakes through, its clatter reaching me all the way up here. A short cutoff points to the summit of Pukamatawe at 1432 meters and completely shrouded in cloud. It's only about a minute to the top, My selfie shows a grinning face and curly hair from all the humidity in front of an absolute whiteout. Yeah, I touched the top all right, but it would seem simply because it is there. But it's funny how badly I need those views again to lighten my spirit. So I head down out of this cloud as quickly as I can, and I can finally see the root a long series of humps that I'll walk right on top of all the way to Dracophyllum Hut. It's beautiful for the eyes, but murder for the feet in slip-and-slide mud, all covered by overgrown grasses. This is not just something that reveals a wet surprise each step. It's also dangerous, as the ground is uneven with big drop-offs, and it slows down my progress immeasurably. But this crest is one of the most magnificent I've ever seen, with sweeping views in all directions. Olive-green mountains as wrinkled as elephants' legs surround the crest I walk on, long gashes from landslips in a pale tan. My ridge reaches out to the horizon, filled with mountains in blue and black, the mist almost within reaching distance. Up and down I go on this ridge of mud and tussock all alone out here. I can't see anyone ahead or behind, and it's as quiet as can be, absolutely no wind. When I think I'm at the final rise, it instead reveals a huge plunge back into the forest before a giant climb. Now I'm nervous I'll lose the daylight. But I forget myself in this stunning grove of moss and lichen-swaddled trees, some trunks like giant green teddy bears, arms reaching up in a frozen dance. Of course, I could camp here if it gets dark, but there's no water until the rain barrel at Dracophyllum, and there doesn't seem to be any real flat ground either. So up I go again. And it's really not that much further to a flattish spot on the edge of the mountain. A tiny orange hut appears, painted like this so it can be seen from a helicopter. I circle around to the door, thinking, it's all mine tonight, when I'm suddenly met by two pairs of muddy boots. Ah, nuts. Dracophilum only sleeps, too. And inside are two German Teodoroa hikers all cozied in. They offer me a bed and say one of them will sleep on the floor. It's okay, guys. I'll just set up the alley coop in that little grassy spot next to the hut, actually right on the trail itself. I get some water, and as I leave, I hear them talking about me, saying how bad they feel. It's this old lady out by herself. They really ought to give me a bed. Though they never come back outside. After I set up, I head out to the helipad with my dinner and watch the colors change amidst swirling mist, teasing me before finally completely enveloping the mountains and me just as the sun disappears behind the furthest peak. I shiver and head to the alley coop to tuck in, so proud of my long day all alone on the ridgetops and this wonderful treat of a sunset amidst the mountains. And as I cuddle in... The steady rhythm of snoring puts me to sleep. You're listening to The P-Rag, unfiltered adventures of the blissful hiker. I share my stories of walking long-distance trails as a solo, middle-aged female hiker in hopes of empowering you to learn to hike your own hike, too. If you're enjoying the P-Rag, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating and review. That's how other people find the podcast. It's barely light, and the German men are packing up. I like getting up early, and their chatter spurs me on. And it's a lot more climbing today on long-exposed ridges, over numerous knobs, and then over a mountain. The alley coop is heavy with dew, my shoes and socks muddy, but I'm off before them, right into another goblin forest, the sun poking through like stained glass. Mist shapeshifts before disappearing entirely. I realize I'm officially in Wellington now, section 6 of 10 on the Teodoroa, and the last section of the North Island. The mud here, even on a mountaintop, is especially difficult going down on steep slopes, then along a saddle through bush, the beech trees sculpted by wind, their branches reaching nearly straight out towards the east. And it's here, in this mystical spot, that I suddenly feel a pain in my chest. This is followed by nausea, heavy arms and legs, and a fast heart rate. Tachycardia. It's only happened to me twice in my life, where I was going strong and then suddenly I'm just totally out of gas. I'm pretty sure it's a lack of potassium and magnesium, so I make a note to get a supplement in Wellington, but that doesn't help me at all right here. I feel like a rag doll trying to catch my breath as I hoist myself over never ending knobs. Well, there's nothing else to do but sit down right on this downed bit of beech tree and eat some food, starting with all the tuna packets in my backpack. Once I finish them, I dip into some cashews, and I follow that with a handful of gummy bears. Ah, heck, let's just eat them all. I'm pretty sure I don't have any more electrolytes, but let's scrounge around a bit. Ah, look here! I'm surprised by one thin envelope, and I add it to my remaining liter of water. The sky is clearing above, and there's no wind whatsoever. I really don't need to hurry, so I just sit and rest. I feel crabby. Even absolutely still, my heart races, and I struggle to breathe. But it's more than that. I feel stupid going fast and hard yesterday and thinking I could just keep going like that. Also that I didn't think to bring enough food. Okay, maybe I brought enough food, but I definitely didn't bring the right food. This is a nutrition thing, nothing else. I tend to get anemic and lose far too much weight when I through hike. Well, there's not much I can do about it now, but wait for the food that I've just gobbled up to hit my bloodstream. The young Australian poet Aaron Hansen wrote, There is freedom waiting for you on the breezes of the sky, and you ask, What if I fall? Oh, but my darling, what if you fly? Pick yourself up, Al. You fell down a little bit by not eating the right things this morning and ensuring you had the calories and nutrition to keep moving. But you're remedying it as best you can, you're being resourceful. You'll probably feel better soon, so stop beating yourself up and just get on with it. I do start to feel a bit better, so I stand up and take a good long breath and then waddle along. I eventually hit a flat saddle with the summit of Mount Crawford above me. It looks really far, but I can see the trail winding its way right along the edge of the spine. The best part about going at a snail's pace is that I have to take breaks and it forces me to look at my feet and the tiny white flowers atop alpine cushion plant clinging tightly to the rocks. I reach down to touch its surface, rough but massaging. Next to it are tiny pink flowers and bright green leaves like holly. It's kamahi in bloom on this hot summer's day. As I ascend and begin to breathe more deeply, I feel the nutrition coursing through my veins and my symptoms begin to abate. Still, I go slow and steady, looking out to the mass of mountains, cloud shadows moving along lazily towards the strait. And then I look down again at my feet, where I see what looks like tiny succulents, lotus-like in a stacked row of petals, with one furry white flower pushing skywards, tiny yellow stamens inviting any passing bees. It's Edelweiss, right here on the North Island of New Zealand. The summit comes faster than I expect, and I meet a TA section hiker approaching from the south. Chris is a Kiwi who started this trail just by walking out his front door. He's wearing shorts and turquoise compression socks, telling me people run this bit of trail in under 24 hours. That makes me feel a bit deflated, until he adds, having a day like today in the Tararuas, hot and sunny and calm, only happens about 11 days a year. We sit and eat and enjoy the view, taking picture after picture and just savoring how lucky we are. A transplant from England named Julian comes at us nearly running on the ridge. He points out the South Island way in the distance, the sea right there beyond the mountains. He then offers to take my picture, and I have a dramatic fall off a rock, the tussocky plants I've complained about for the past two days, saving me from hitting my head. We say goodbye to Chris as he heads north and the two of us take one last look at this glorious range before heading down into the bush. Every mountaineer knows that going down can be far more difficult and dangerous than going up. The walk down, according to Julian, is savage. We leave Shoulder Knob at 4,300 feet and drop to the Otaki River at 100 feet and only two and a half miles. And that translates to steep drops most of the muddy, root-filled disasters waiting to happen. My walking sticks get a workout, but sometimes they do nothing at all, like when I have to go butt-first down a mudslide. Young Julian beats me to Waterwayway Hut, where Floris, Marjolaine, and Chloe are already set up. No one seems particularly keen to see old, doddering me, so I drop my gear and head to the clear and cold river to bathe and rinse the mud for my clothes as best I can, staying under as long as possible to avoid the mass of bloodthirsty sandflies. Back at the hut, hikers practice yoga, and the clothing dries on a rack hanging from the ceiling close to the fire. I eat dinner at a shared table and think about my splendid time tramping in the Tataduas. I did exactly what John at Makahika Outdoor Pursuits suggested, pushing myself to get over the highest peaks before the weather turned. I had spectacular views, spookier on the first day all alone on the ridges as the mist cleared, then sparkly on the second day as I trudged up to the high point, all mountains as far as I could see. Freedom waited for me as I took my chance a calculated chance, and entered this glorious range, the hardest hiking so far on the entire trail. My fall was minor, and one I quickly corrected, taking note of it for future hikes. And in the end, up that long spine of Mount Crawford I went, puffy clouds as a gentle ceiling, as I flew, barely feeling my feet touch the ground. I set up in the upper story and am soon joined in a long row of plastic mattresses by the two Germans and Kuhn, who hiked all the way today from Temataway. Exhausted, we turn in before it gets dark. And for the second night in a row, I'm lulled to sleep by snores. Thanks so much to Lucky Trekking Poles and Belega Socks for supporting the PRAG podcast. You can subscribe to the PRAG wherever you get your podcasts. And if you listen on Apple, please leave a rating and a review. Show notes, the music, and more about my hikes all over the world are at the website, theprag.com. Next week, the weather does move in and mist and rain as I move back to the sea and towards Wellington. Until then, my friends, Kia Kaha and Happy Trails.